You're listening to a DM podcast. Just a quick warning, this podcast series contains discussions about crime, trauma, sexual abuse, drug use and suicide. Listener discretion is advised. I used to rob banks in the 80s and 90s and did 23 years in prison in three different states. It took 30 years to talk about the sexual abuse that happened to me and the spiral into crime, addiction and depression that all occurred as a result. Now, having turned my life around, I talk openly to inspirational people about trauma, survival, transformation and hope. I am Russell Manser and this is The Stick Up. I first met Jason Hansford in a Queensland jail. When I heard his story of childhood trauma and addiction, it resonated with me and I think we were bonded by our adversity. His story is pretty shocking, but he's turned his life around against the odds. He got out of jail four years ago and I got out of jail five years ago and we have both stayed in contact. Welcome to The Stick Up, Jason Hansford. Thanks Russ, thanks for having me. Who'd have thought we'd be here, eh? All those years ago in those um, prison yards, it's, um, it's, it's just amazing what you do when you set yourself a goal and have a dream and apply yourself to that dream. Yeah. All right, mate. Just All right, let's start with the Jason Hansford story, mate. Tell us a bit about you. Where did it all begin? Yeah, it began when I was really young. Like, um, I, was, I was born in England. Um, my mum had it quite hard where she was and um, eventually came over to Australia to run away from my biological father who was mixed up in some some serious things over there so we came over here with my older brother and um i was really young about five and that and unfortunately she fell back in the heroin scene and who your mother did your yeah. mother was a was an addict yeah it was an addict and a working girl at the same time and um yeah that didn't make life easy and um I was about eight years old and I started going into care and sort of stuff like that. Was in foster care? Yeah. And dogs, homes, yeah. yeah. All that sort of stuff. I had ADHD as a kid as well and um, I think that played a major part in sort of making things harder for the carers and the homes I went into and also my um, my mother as well, you know. Where did you land in Australia? Where did you, you primarily, primarily grow up? Uh, we landed first in Batlow. We lived in the caravan. Down there, the apple. That's Batlow's the where apple. they grow all the apples down south. Yeah, southwest. That's right. Yeah. Um, then obviously moved to the Illawarra and lived in Barilla, mm. and that's where I first started going to school. Mm. And um, yeah, my major behavioural issues at the start from from the get go. You know, I ended up in a behavioural class and that, and um, oh, I was just a bit of a terror of a kid. I think you know. Um, Did I, that stem from? Not having a role model as a father, or or what was it? I I I don't think. Yeah, I think it was the structure, and um, you know, I I remember my first early memories. Right, was watching um one of my mates at school get picked up by his dad, and he said he was going to take him somewhere, and I don't know where he said he was going to take him, but and I remember looking at that, and you know, it's one of my first early memories, and I remember I got really sad, hmm. and um that obviously that sadness turned to a lot of anger and resentment. And um, yeah, I, I was all I ever wanted was a dad, and that, and um, you know I didn't feel the best amount of love from my mother either. Obviously, she had a lot of things going on in her life and stuff like that. But mm. um, yeah, I think a lot of my anger and resentment stemmed for the lack of lack of love I had from at home. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I do. And not having a father there, and and, and obviously a, a role model. What part did that play in your you know your decisions and your behaviour? Oh, I was impulsive, man. I, 
I, I, I wanted attention, you know. I wanted people, you know, I just wanted people to laugh at me or laugh with me or, you know, just, yeah, I, was, I just wanted love or I don't know. I was just a bit lost. So I used to do things in class and to, to get reaction, you know, and, um, yeah. When you started going into care, was it foster care and, and, and like, what did you end up with? Did you end up in, with, in family units? Yeah, I was in a, a couple of group homes and also homes where there'd be speared two foster parents and myself and that. Like in any of those homes, did you sort of um, get a, a father figure or did anyone sort of sort of try to... Nah, I didn't, you know, and um, I think half the problem was I, I looked for that a lot. I ended up getting a, a sort of a father figure when I ended up work. you know, I, I ended up working out in the middle of the bush one time as a drover's offsider mm. and um, had this bloke called Barry Reed. He was a tough man and I remember he taught me a lot about just being a young man and I'd already done a lot of crap in my past. He knew that and he sort of took me under his wing a bit. And What age did you land in um, like foster care and that sort of thing? How old were you? I was about eight years old when I went in the system. And how did that make you feel like separated from your mother? Um, I remember the day quite clearly. Still a bit of pickpocketing when there were heaps of people in my house. Because our food was scarce and stuff like that, and there was always loud music at night and all that. And um, I, uh, I remember stepping over one of one of the blokes that I would always see, and I put my hand in his pocket, and um, I pulled out fifty dollars, and um, I also a little packet. I didn't know it was heroin at the time. I thought it was pot. That's how much I knew at that age. And um, I went to school. I got caught with it, and that's what triggered a lot of things. But. Um, I remember uh, docs come and pick me up from school and took me back. And, and what was the reason for them picking you up from school? What was the reason for them taking over? Um, I walked into the toilets and I went up to the six students trying to sell them what I had and one of them told on me. So they intervened and took you off your mother because yeah. of that, yeah? I think there was a lot of, um, a lot of uh, signs and a lot of people were speaking around that time. Some of the other mothers yeah. sort of alerted and it was just, yeah, it was bound to happen. What was actually in that bag? Uh, it turned out to be heroin, man. <laughs> and um, and you're eight years old. Yeah, I didn't know. I I just I just it was just I didn't even I didn't even know what drugs was, bro. You know, mm. <laughs> and I thought you know I'd take it to school and I'd, I'd give it away. But um, I remember I, when they come and grabbed me, they were pretty concerned. And um, anyway, that bloke ended up ODing in the house at that point. So when I uh, pulled it out of his pocket, he was actually dead. I didn't know. So the guy who you took it off was actually dead. Yeah, he's dead. Yeah, he was brown bread, mate. Yeah, mm-hmm. but, um, that's probably why it was such an easy pickpocket. Usually, I have to be a bit more careful. But <laughs> oh, dead man. Yeah. How, as an eight-year-old kid, did you feel when you were being taken out of your mother's custody? Uh, like you were obviously taken to a house you didn't know. And yeah, I did. I, I went into a fair few group homes. I went. What was the first one like? Uh, yeah, it was horrible. Yeah, it was. It was only about ten k's away from my house, and um, I can remember when I first got there. I looked out and I went walked down in the street, and I was just looking for the way home, but I didn't know. And um, yeah, yeah, it was bad. I didn't feel any love at all. I just felt like I was just a commodity, or I don't know. Just was there rejection issues? Yeah, it was major rejection issues straight away. Um, yeah, and that's that's something that I I think that carried on through my life and made me sort of cold and callous because the first emotions of a child was just rejection and I, you know, all I wanted was love and, and all that sort of stuff and I was just so confused at eight, man. I, I didn't know, I didn't know what the fuck, didn't know what the fuck was going on and one minute my mum's here and the next minute she's not, man. And no matter what, how, how, how much I carried on and screamed and carried on and 
I, I, I just, you know, I couldn't get an answer. I just wanted to be mum back. And it, and it took years, it took a few years. And it was just confusing, Russell. I, I can't even explain it. Absolutely. I, mate, I can only imagine. Yeah. I, I've never experienced that myself. But I can imagine that as a, as a child, as an eighty, as an eight, all you want is your mum or your dad or whatever. Yeah. And when they're like there, man, wow. Yeah, yeah. It's so gut-wrenching. I think, I think it turned me... Uh, not to go too forward in our story, but um, I think it played a mate. Them, them moments, them weeks, played a major part in um, how I carried on as an adult, or even as a teenager. I think it um, put a lot of hate in me, and a lot of um, yeah, a lot of callousness. I didn't, you know, I became very angry at the world. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I do things easily without thinking. Um, Pits on cars, lighting fires on cars, and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, I just, I thought that was my life. I ended up using drugs quite at an early age. At the age of 14, I went to um, the Derrick Boys' home and encountered horrific sexual and physical abuse. Did you sort of uh, encounter any of that sort of stuff along the way yourself at a young age? Yeah, well, yeah, I did. I was 11 years old and I remember I'd just been booted out of it. I was becoming too much of a problem for the home I was in and I got picked up by a caseworker at the time, one of my, my caseworkers from Docks and um, he was an old fellow, he was really seedy, just a really seedy man and, um, and at the start of it he, I remember I said to him, you have to buy me Maccas because I'm hungry and he says I'll go get your Maccas and he took me down to uh, Wingdang Bridge, it was near the lake there and I was in the back and um uh, I, 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 yeah. He just was calling me a little shit, and he was really angry at me about you know what I'd done, and I started kicking the back of his chair and stuff like that. And um, he got out of the front seat, and um, he grabbed me, and um, yeah, he just, yeah, he grabbed me. He goes, "Now you're going to do something for me." And sat in the seat and locked the doors, and um, proceeded to try and make me give him oral sex. And um, as an 11-year-old boy, I think later on in life, that moment it sort of got me to, to steer towards drugs to numb that pain. I was 13 when I started shooting up heroin. 13? 13 years old when you started shooting up heroin? Wow. From them two years, from that, that moment in that car, yeah, I, did, I changed. I, I changed. I, I questioned my sexuality at 11 year, as an 11-year-old boy. Mm. And um, I lost all trust in men. I lost all trust in anyone. And I just, yeah, I was... What did you create? Like, I, I can tell you something now. Like, I can share this with you. And I, I think you're going to... It'll resonate with you. My own sexual abuse created a massive void within me. I had this void within my stomach. It was like a, a darkness. And my mind was like a mouse wheel of mm. shame and guilt and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to hurt. I just... I just wanted to hurt people, man. Hey, I was... Don't look at me. I'm not not a big person or anything, but I, I uh, just more my interactions with other people was aggressive, and you know, I just. I look at a lot of guys that have got a propensity for violence, and we can normally track back on them. Like in the work I do at the Voice of a Survivor, the we, like when you track back at the underlying issue, the underlying issue often is some sort of abuse. It's some sort of uh, mental, physical, or sexual abuse, and that the the violence is a byproduct of the abuse. That's right. That's right. You know, we show you show me some of the most violent men in Australia, and I'll show you someone who's got some pretty horrific abuse going on. Yeah, some trauma. It's, I think it's the trauma. You know what I mean? But society don't want to know about it. Yeah, nah, 
Did you ever try reporting it? Yeah. Who'd believe me? I was that little shit that was always a problem for the caseworkers and the docs. Who's going to believe me? Mm. All I wanted was my mum. Mm. You know, who's going to who's going to believe me? And did they ever sort of try to degrade your mother or try bagging you to your mother? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they they did that a lot. And my my mother ended up getting clean. Right, she ended up getting clean a few years later. And because I was I was I was the the problem child, she um she started her own family, and um I'm still in care. She didn't try getting your back or nothing like that. How'd that make you feel? Oh, yeah, it's still still um yeah, it breaks me today. Like um, it's the only thing that breaks me. I'm pretty strong as a person for what I've been in. What I've been through, I believe I'm strong. I've faced a lot of adversity in my life. Um, but yeah, that's. That's something I'll um, never get over. I, I tried the other the other month, not too long ago. This woman walks past me in the street, and I'll even call her mum. But there's nothing. And you all, still, you all, see her today, yeah. Yeah, she's she's doing quite well for herself. She's married. She's got her own family and stuff like that. And I still see pictures of them. It's half the reason I deleted Facebook. I remember searching them up and all the whole family photo, and I just think, where was I? You know, I didn't choose to be. Um, put in that position as a young age or anything like that. Um, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the only thing that breaks me now. So I, just, I just want an answer. All right. You're using heroin at the age of 13. How did you fund that? Because heroin, I know, it was very expensive. And in those days, very expensive. I, I'd met an older bloke that and he taught me how to pinch cars mm. and uh, break into houses and stuff like that. And he was... You know, he'd always give me a place to stay when I'd run away from the home. So, I mean, the police spent a long time looking for me because every home I'd go to, I'd run away the next day and I'd meet up with that mate. Yeah, I don't know. I can remember one time where we obviously didn't have anything and it was probably about the second time I'd tried it and um, I broke into this house and stole this computer and a couple of speakers and then 10 minutes later we bloody we had heroin, you know what I mean? But... I used to get looked after by this bloke. He never sexually abused me or anything like that, but I think he used me a lot to sort of steal from businesses and um, steal cars mm. and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, that's... And then as I got to probably about 15, 16, yeah, obviously I'm selling, I'm, I'm doing my own thing, you know what I mean? I, I know I know what the goal is. I can fund it myself, but, yeah. Mm. When did you f- first really get in serious trouble with the law? How old were you? Uh, 13, yeah. I th- and where did you end up, in a boy's home or...? Yeah, I ended up and yeah, I ended up at a boys' home straight away. Um, I, I stole a car and um, tried to take <laughs> tried to take the cops on the chase and uh, didn't end up well. And um, yeah, ended up in Baxter. So Frank Baxter up at Gosford, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. And what was the scenario there, mate? How did you how did you handle that? Did you meet friends? Did you what? Did you make acquaintances? I, often as you do. On my yeah. my experience with boys' homes, it was just a college. It was like where it's I college, learned how to, yeah, it's college. Learn how to steal different cars, do mm. different crimes. I was a small kid, man. I was I was a skinny kid, man. I was a smaller than any of them, and um, yeah, I got beat up straight away, bro. Mm. I got there. I, I think I learned how to fight in there. You know mm. what I mean? I remember this Mary kid coming up to me and says, "I'm going to teach you how to fight." Mm. <laughs> And then yeah, I didn't I didn't really um, had the best time in the first time I went, but um, I ended up getting out of there, and then I ended up in Keelong, and I knew some kids that it was around the area and stuff like that, and it sort of gave my confidence a little bit. But um, I left that Keelong, and I went to Boys Town in Engerton, and we all know about that place. Uh, I can tell you, through voice of a survivor. Prolific sexual abuse at uh, Boys Town, Ingerdean, and uh, did you encounter any of that? 
Yeah, yeah. The corridors are fucking hell. That's what I say. Yeah, corridors, yeah. Corridors, mate. Yeah. People look at the the boys' town and the raffles, and you can get these amazing uh, units and stuff like that. And and, and they'll, it was sort of like a charitable organisation. Place like destroyed my life, Russell. Yeah. Yeah. I remember. Yeah, the school next to it, the, that school next to it, we used to, we used to break into the canteen and all that sort of stuff. We, 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 weren't, we were bloody breaking in and out of that place as usual, but when we got caught, you know, there was a lot of physical abuse and then um, some of that physical abuse turned straight to sexual abuse. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Once again, with those sort of places, because, look, it's, it's, it's been identified by the Royal Commission in Institutional Responses to Child Sexual Abuse how prolific that was, and it was often reported by a lot of the kids that were sexually abused there about what was happening to them and um, and nothing ever happened. It yeah. was like covered up. That was the first time I reported it. Um, I I was having a shower one day and yeah, I just obviously someone came in and and yeah, I I, I reported that, but no one believed me, man. I, I remember leaving the next day and, mm. and um, when yeah. you say leaving, did it as in run away or yeah, I ran away. Yeah, yeah and, and you ran away because you were being sexually abused. Yeah, I, I grabbed scissors and held it to them, to the workers at the front door, and then I got out and just just bolted down the highway. And then um, I remember I remember getting on the train and just I went down to Nowra, I think, and um, yeah, I just found some friends. I used to just walk the streets, steal things from the shops and stuff like that. And I just meet meet you know how it is when we're our age. You meet kids that are on the streets themselves. Yeah, and, yeah. Did your uh, offending behaviour start to escalate? Ah, uh, yeah, definitely. Um, carrying blades around at that point, but yeah, I remember I was at the Bombardieri Traino and um, these these other kids sort of jumped me and uh, and beat the hell out of me. <laughs> and um, I don't know, I was, I was scared shitless, you know what I mean? And I can remember just going into coals and something stealing a knife, and I'd always carry that around, you know what I mean? But as um, a protection, yeah, protection, you know. Did you spend your life as a, by that age? How did you did you feel like unsafe, like as in 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 the world? Yeah, I just thought, um, what am I doing here? You know, like, why am I here? If if this is what I'm going through, why why am I here? Like, why are you living? Yeah, yeah why am I living? I ended up getting sort of they found me and all that sort of stuff, and I had this. This is probably one of my f- first father figures before Barry Reed. He um. He's the one that helped me get. He goes to the look, son. You want to do some work? I loved horses. I was obsessed with horses as a kid, mm. right? And he goes, "I'm going to send you out to a mate of mine." And I went out to Moree, and I was 15 at the time. I was a drover's offsider for about bloody eight months, and that was the first eight months. Like you know what I mean? It was just that was great. You know what I mean? Like I was learning to to work. I was learning new skills. I had a hell of an educational and behavioural adjustment because these were hard men out there. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And then that ended because I got the shits one day and I just bloody hitchhiked to the to another town and I ended up getting back to um, Wollongong and doing the same old fucking shit again. When you say father figures, what did they bring to your life for you to suggest that they were father figures? Just telling me about life and how to be a man and... And tuck my shirt in, and when I, you know, just just dress respectfully, and I don't know, man, just teach me things, man. Discipline, yeah, it's discipline. I wanted to be disciplined. 
mm. like oh, the boy the, the homes and care homes they just wanted to fucking beat me up man mm. but, you know like just talk to just spoken to you know treated like a human being treated like validated you're validated and yeah, I, I and love, man. Yeah, love. That's it. You know, you, you don't. So these guys showed you some love, yeah, yeah, some interest, yeah. And how did that make you feel? Oh, content, man. Fucking, have, I, they're the they're the memories in my life. I'll I'll, I'll cherish forever. Mm. You know what I mean? Like you can breed a very very fucking, and we've we've seen them, Russ. Me and mm. you have seen these men, mm. very dangerous men. You can breed a very dangerous man if you when that man's had no love his whole life. Mm. Do you know what I mean? This is what it's about, like recognising where things do go wrong for people like myself and others, you know what I mean? I've always thought, you know, when, when it, like, I, I learned it in jail. I had a lot of older blokes take an interest in me in jail and, you know, whether it was good or bad, you know, passed on wisdom to me in the case of my fellow bank, elder bank robbers telling me how to rob banks. And mm. I thought they were the ant's pants. I thought, mate, these blokes were gods, you know, but mm. they took an interest in me and they trained with me and, when I sort of look at it back, I look at, I look at it a bit different now. I don't have the uh, the great impression of those guys yep. that I used to have. Yep. Because you know, I take the adage, you know, the real hero is the working man these days. So yeah, yeah. Straight up. We'll move on a bit. What led you to your first time in prison? I was nineteen. Yeah. Mm. And I thought I'd start doing the right here. I met a girl, and she, um, I was, in, I was always in love with her. She's like a high school sweetheart to me. You know. Mm. And um, she ended up being pregnant to someone. I still loved her, but um, anyway, I stuck around. She had the baby. That person didn't stick around, so I fathered that 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 young girl. Uh, she got pregnant with me, and um, I felt myself getting back into heroin and all that sort of stuff. So, so I, this time, by this stage, you weren't using heroin. No, I was on and off it. You know what I mean? I'd been doing programs with docs and that sort of stuff, and um, and as an adult, I'd I'd fuck. Just got myself off it a few times, you know what I mean? I still was big on the prescription meds, you know mm. what I mean? What sort of prescription? Ritalin and that sort of stuff? No, I was prescribed that, oh. but he'd do nothing for me. Mm. No, I just like the morph and, you yeah. know, the valleys. I was big on the valleys mm. and Zannies and, what, and all what, that. what were you using them for, mate? If I didn't, I just, I was hurt, I was angry, I just acted out. Like, I just wanted to be dulled down because mm. when I was sober... I become a wreck. I cry. I carry on. I remember all the trauma I have, and it was just doling it out. I'd have fucking flashbacks of buddy being watched in the showers and taken down to buddy Wingdang Beach and fondled with. You know mm. what I mean? I just have fucking flashbacks, brother. And I'll tell you now, like using Valium and getting on the Zannies, that helped me. Mm. Straight up helped me. You know, smoking weed, all that. I forgot about all of that. You know what I mean? I I painted myself another life. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of people that I grew up with and all that, they 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 had a little bit of an inclination that things were going on with me. They always knew. I'd had kids, mums try and take me, buddy, tell tell their sons to take me home to theirs, but I never did. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, there was people that reached out to you. Yeah, a lot of people reached out to me. Um, I can thank a couple of families that if it wasn't for them, uh, I wouldn't have had Christmas presents and stuff like that, you know what I mean? Um, I wouldn't have clothes and stuff like that at that sort of time. But as a kid, you couldn't keep me in the one spot because I was so fucking scared I'd get abused again. Mm. So if I came into a loving family, I wouldn't trust them. I'd yeah. think to the, the father's going to touch me or the the mum's going to pull my hair again and stuff like that. So, you know, you encountered a, a lot, not just physical uh, sexual abuse, but there was physical abuse from other family people. And Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It wouldn't, mate, you wouldn't feel much good as a kid. It must have been so detrimental. No, so I think that reflected, affected my relationship. So when I got with this girl at 19, um, I was a heavy pot smoker. I was on the valleys and all that. 
I, I watched Deadliest Catch, bro, mm. and I said, I'm going to be a fisherman. Mm. And I got on the internet, and we, we, we lived with her mother at the time, and I ended up getting a job on a um, prawn and scallop boat. One season we were doing scallops, the other season we were doing prawns. We were scalloping at this point. It was in Harvey Bay, and I ended up going up there. And I did a few trips out on this boat, and you know, and they, they gave me a job, and I ended up getting the place a rental in, in, in the town and I moved my baby mama up with the two kids because I had a child, Memphis, mm. was my first child. And um, this is where it all went wrong for me as an adult and this is where it went bad. I was out at sea, man, fucking all the way out there and I did two, three-week trips so it was probably my fault to be away at that point in time and probably what led to the things that happened. But um, she ended up cheating on me with my, one of my mates. She used to fly him up while I'd be out at sea and they'd... You know, obviously doing the dirty on me. And um, I came home early one time because it was a cyclone coming. So I just wanted to surprise her. And then, yeah, I caught him out and um, I obviously belted the shit out of old mate. And um, I left the house and I went down to, like, down the road a little bit. And, yeah, I ended up meeting someone. And, um, and then, yeah, just... They, I went back to the house they had gone. They completely left and um, moved the maid in and ended up going in the wrong way and I started selling drugs and, and all that sort of stuff. Started kicking in fucking doors. Started robbing pot dealers. Um, you know what I mean? Taking steroids. Steroids was a major part of my uh, downfall. Mm. I got in the gym, started using steroids, becoming even more aggressive as I always was. You know what I mean? Mm. I had that trauma that would that would project my aggressiveness and now I'm adding steroids onto it. Mm. And that's putting fuel on the fire, do you know what mm. I mean? I was so hurt that the first sense of family that I had failed and it mm. broke me, man, it broke me. Um, I ended up getting involved in two shootings. Um, yeah, was just, a, just a failed drug deal gone wrong, man. And it was over the bloody sex trade up there too. Um, I, I got I got sprayed with a shotgun, a shotgun shells and ricocheted straight up my arm and all up my neck. I I can remember sitting in jail and ended up getting caught and I was had a bit of pop out of me and it was a bit of lead. Mm. <laughs> but that's where it all went wrong. It was in Harvey Bay. I, I, I did a shooting and then um, I uh, just did the old Harry Holt, bro. Mm. But um, anyway, I ended so up getting... Harry Holt is reference to ran away. Yeah, ran away. Yeah. Yeah. I, <laughs> I, went, I, I, went, I went on the run and, um, yeah, it was a bit, 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 of, bit of a search for me and I ended up getting me and uh, extradited me back to Queensland. And um, uh, the first prison I went to was Marybark Correctional Centre. And, um, yeah, because they knew me sort of in the town and that. The screws gave me a hard time. And I remember my mate gave me a pair of ones and twos, which means shoes. shoes. And um, they were nice shoes because he, he sort of looked after me when he see me come through reception, you know. And the screws looked at me and said, uh, where you got them shoes on? You're not on your card. And I said, uh, a card is your prison property card that yeah. indicates what prison, what, you own, what property yeah. belongs to you. Yeah, and so they 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 tried to take them off me, and um, I said, oh, you know, I'm new to adult prison at the time. I said, I'll oh, come get them, and they are, yeah, you don't ever call their bluff. They just go code yellow, code yellow, mm-hmm. boom. I got ten screws around me, and um, I ended up in tussle with one of them, and one of the well, I kicked one of the the officers in the face and broke his jaw. So I went down to the DU. Disciplinary unit. Segregation. And um, our mate was in there and um, 
I remember being so angry, and um, for the seven days, I just kept taking on the taking on the squad. I kept buddy covering the cameras, kicking the doors, flooding, trying to flood the cell, and all that sort of stuff. And I remember the, there's a bloke called Greeny man. He come in and give me mad hidings. Mm. Greeny was a, a cage fighter from up at Harvey Bay. Yeah, knowing really well. He was part. When they say when Jason refers to the squad. Sort of a riot squad that are main that are there to maintain the discipline of the prison. They're normally the bigger, tougher sort of screws. Not always. Not always. I took one on. Yeah. <laughs> Not always. But um, Greeny was a, a well-known uh, screw up there. He's that, a tough motherfucker. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That was known for his fighting prowess. And I remember, I remember they were shipping me out. They were, they were chucking me to Alphagori. I knew that was going to happen. But um. I remember Elvis, the old, old fellow, he's a great man, I'll screw you. He said to me on the sixth day, he goes, you've been going these fellas for six days, mate. Give your body a rest. Mm. You know what I mean? And <laughs> I'd laugh about that. They shipped me to R&R. I spent, me, I spent Arthur, 10... Arthur Gorey. Yeah. yeah spent, shipped me to Arthur Gorey, and I, I obviously did my remand time there, got sentenced, and um, went to another jail where our mate was. And that that is, that is my first adult father figure, that man... And let me tell you. Let me, yeah. Yeah. We'll just say, we'll just refer him as Mark. Yeah, We're Mark. Yeah. So um, I landed in the prison and um, took me under his wing. And like, as an adult now, like, I, I call him my dad. And that's who we, I refer him to. But I don't talk to him often. But he, I, I owe a lot of lot of things to him, a lot of lot of growth in, within myself. I witnessed that a lot in prison. One thing I did notice a lot, and you see uh, an older inmate could often take the place of a father figure with a with a younger inmate and i see you know that older bloke's been in there for a long time and he knows how to do things it can have a real positive influence on a younger inmate as long as the bloke is you know what i mean mm. you know I mean, he's not a dickhead and he, um i've seen it happen a lot and i've seen a lot of older inmates turn the lives around of young fellas and say mate this ain't the way to do it you know i've done x amount of years and you know you've got an opportunity I, you know i've done it towards the end i was doing a lot of it myself and yeah um, i know yeah and, so this is the uh, first stint at an adult jail. How old were you? I was 22. Yeah. Right. And About to turn 23. And you reckon, you know, it was this sentence was the turning point in your life? Oh, well, I, I was I was sentenced to 13 years to serve 11 SVO, which is a serious violent offender. And um, I got it appealed. And uh, I went on appeal because I got obviously bashed by the media a fair bit. And um, when I got picked up, man, all I said is guilty, 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 man. I'm all good. You didn't know your legal rights. Didn't know my legal rights, man. And I, I, I don't. Often is the case. Yeah, and, you know, you get the two Ds in the in the room with you and they just say, look, make it easy on yourself, brother. And, look, I look back on it now, man. I probably wouldn't have done half the time that I did. But out of out of loyalty to the that life mm. and, and not knowing the legal rights. The terminology is used in uh, criminal circles I took the ball up which is yeah ran the ball up yeah I ran the ball up took the ball up and that means you know you took the rap and sort of um, cleared other people from big yeah. sentences or anything and that was the case with you yeah yeah, yeah I didn't yeah that's the thing I, I was fucking shit scared man I didn't want to um, I wasn't silly you know what I mean I'd been around for a bit and I wasn't silly I knew what I had to do and yeah, that's what that's what I did. So the turning point in your life was meeting Mark and um, a father figure. And yeah. what was the sort of advice that he he gave you? I was ADHD man. He used to slow me down. He used to, I used to do 150 jumping jacks with him first thing in the morning. We used mm. to walk out ourselves and put our mats down. 
150 jumping jacks. Mm. Boom. And then we go to have our breakfast and we do crosswords together. Mm. And I still do crosswords for the, to this day from mm. that man. And and that was sort of something that it I, I become good at them and it engaged my mind. It got me just focusing on slow something. Slow down. To slow down. Yeah, to slow to, down, yeah. And use your mind. Use my mind. And, and that's when I started to feel like, you know, I, I can make something on myself. I know I can. Even even though I I'd sort of pulled my head in a bit, I ended up still still getting in trouble. You know what I mean? Like, but not to the point where you know it was worse than what it was before. But um, I got on a lot of IMPs, intensive management plans, mm. which I spent a lot of time in lockdown in my cell because the screws were just jacking me. I think. But um, I remember waking up one day and I said to myself, "I'm not using no more. I'm not mm. fucking using no more." And then and that was my turning point. You know, I I, I went down and dried out and segue for about three weeks. Mm. Come back up, all goods. Do you know what I mean? And that was the last time I ever stuck a syringe in my arm. Amazing. Great. Congratulations. And that was the case with myself, you know. I'd just seen the drama that drugs caused in prison, and I used to think, I want nothing to do with that. I no, seen, I, see, I used to see the blokes using jail and dra- uh, drugs in jail, and I think, that's not easy jail. But it's hard jail, man. It's mm. hard jail doing it like that. And, uh, you know, I always thought, jail's hard enough as it is, and I don't want to make it any harder by using drugs in there. And it's something I, don't, I wouldn't encourage any young fella that's in there to do. Mm. You done for so what did you do four years? Yeah, so I end up I end up getting the winning appeal and it was eight years to serve four fifty mm. percent. I I think it was like eight to serve three and a half, but I that screw that screw that I kicked in the jaw, I got six months for that. Mm. So I had to do that as well. But um I applied for an interstate transfer because I didn't want to get out in Queensland. I had nothing there. You got no chance of getting out in Queensland. Yeah, that's what I mean. I just, with my behaviour inside and the crime I committed, there was no way I was getting parole. I, I knew that. I wasn't silly. And um, so I did the hard yards. I waited for my transfer and boom, one day they just put me on pole air, you know what I mean? Con air. Mm. And I, I hit, the, I hit you know, MWR, like Silverwater, MWRC, whatever they say mm. down here. And I was in pod 14. This is in 2018 and... It's a bikey unit, Pod 14, Pod yeah, 14 yeah, a bikey unit. Yeah, yeah. I remember going to Darcy before that. And just Isn't that an eye-opener? Darcy unit oh. at MWRC. I've, I, was, I was in Darcy unit, and there was a bloke who come from Indonesia, Karabakan Prison, and I said to him, I said, it'd be pretty tough over there, and he goes, this is worse than that. This is the Darcy unit. is horrendous. Horrendous. Is hor- like there's perspex on the windows, so you can hardly breathe. In the case of my cell, there was a turd on the floor. Yeah, yeah. And there was, was the bed was full of pubic hair. Yeah, food trays. It stank. Well, my first thing with Darcy, I didn't have a mattress because it'd been ripped up and used for a pillow because they weren't giving us pillows. Yeah, um, you've seen that a few yeah. times. And then I've walked out the yard, and um, there's about seven seven lads sitting around. And there's a camera straight above them, sitting around on the Daniel Boone, which means spoon, mm. um, obviously shooting up. And they and then bloody the squad come in and we're all on our all on our flat on so our chest. Often it's a case of say seven blokes sharing a one syringe, one syringe, yeah, and mixing up out of the same spoon. These these men have come off the streets. They've they've still got habits, and it's not easy accessible for the up in Queensland. They don't have the pupe program. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Down here they do pupe morphine program. Pupa, yeah, but um, that I remember looking over. I'd just done four years like. Like three and a half years in Queensland, I was comfortable, bro. I was looking good. I, I was trained. I had I had the good mindset, and this was a great challenge for me in jail, man. I could have went the wrong way straight away. I met a fella in there, and we were pretty close. Ended up meeting him straight away when I got out because I thought I'd go the wrong way. 
but I, I turned that opportunity down. But I'll go back to this Darcy thing. I remember looking around and just going, fuck me, Something dead. like out of Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. It's fucking unbelievable. And it's sad because the screws that watch it, that it's, it's a situation that can be fixed, needs to be fixed, make the conditions better because like, that, yeah, that was crazy. Mm. And like- there's, there was about three fights in the fucking two hours we're allowed out in the yard. Do you mm. know what I mean? Like, there was one person sent to the other side. You know what I mean? It's just, they, they're all shooting up under a camera and then when the squad comes in and they're all yelling out, someone stole on us. Mate, mm. <laughs> you're doing it under camera, cousin. Criminal, criminal masterminds. Yeah, criminal masterminds. So let's far, let's go forward a bit. So you you, don't, you you eventually get released from New South Wales prison. Mm. Um, what did you walk in do, mate? I had me bag. I had mail. I just I think I had me court clothes. I got sentenced in. I had sixty bucks. I think they give you hundred and sixty bucks, but half a dull check. Half yeah, a dull half check. a dull check. And there was Maccas down the road, and I remember walking out and winning the Maccas. And I fucking what did you get released from? Silverwater. Mwr. Yeah. Yeah, I was, I was always at the desk every day thinking, are you going to send me, are you going to class on me, you know? Are you going to send me Dawn to Lois or send me somewhere else? I don't want to sit in fucking Pod 14, man. Like, well, it's all good, but I'm starting to get worried, you know what I mean? And pod 14 is a maximum security prison. You're at the end of your sentence, which would have warranted a minimum security pri- uh, classification. They never gave me that, bro. I was always high risk, HR, yeah. I was always a high risk prisoner, yeah. I often refer to it as like sending a prisoner to war with a gun with no bullets in it, yeah, the, bro. The chances of uh, the chances of survival are, are bleak at best. I, I walked into Macca's and I'd I'd never seen the bloody Uber come out while I was in prison, bro. Mm. And I walked into Macca's and there was all these screens, and I can remember like standing there trying to work one, but I couldn't work one. Mm. But I remember that the first bit of institutionalised behaviour I displayed was um. Someone had walked in behind me and stood right near behind me, and I turned around and I said, "You can go, bud. Mm-hmm. Like, don't don't stand in behind me." But mm-hmm. I didn't want to act out, you know. And then someone else did as well, mm-hmm. and I can remember just sort of standing back. And there was this lady, the manager. She knew I just walked out of prison. She came over and she said, "Don't worry about the screen. What's your order?" I ordered a McChicken Oz, man. I mean, I used to watch ads on 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 TV when I was locked up, and that was the one thing I wanted: McChicken, Big McChicken Oz Burger, man. Mm-hmm. And that was my first meal out of jail, bro. Mm. And then I ate that and I was just chuffed being out of jail. I had me, buddy, $60 in my possessions and $160. In, and you got you to slip and then you got to go out and, and cash it in to the little box outside. Mm. Anyway, I got on the train and I went to my sister's in Mangerton, in Wollongong there. And um, I mean, I wanted to go to my mother's house, but I knew that'd be a different story. You know what I mean? They'd moved on with their life, man. They, they, you know, they they have family holidays every year, mate. They're, I knew that there was no way they'd have a bar of me. You know what I mean? And um, so I went to me, me foster sister. She's my foster sister. I just used to get taken care of by her mother. You know what I mean? They were they were of a family from Warilla as well. They weren't well off. They were strugglers too. But her mother called Kathy. She used to taking a lot of young kids off the street and i got saying yeah she's a saint she's an angel and still to this day i call her my mother you know what i mean but anyway i I just took the bus i took the train to Mangerton, got off boom and and you know what there was a building site two two streets away and um i walked down and i said yeah can i get a job man and he looked around and he goes they need another scaffold i need another scaffolder laborer and i said i'll do it 
and then I just become a scaffy man. I got my first paycheck. I, I got my I got my tools, and then I was just jumping up, learning how to scaff, and that's what saved me, bro. And then I end up going in the gym mm. and training. It's, it's funny. A lot of blokes get out of prison and end up doing scaffolding. <laughs> I, I I too done a year of scaffolding. Yeah. It's just that one of those jobs that it's a good job, bro. It is it's a, a good, good job. job, and there's a lot, lot of uh, camaraderie. And, and yeah, a big brothers. shout out to all the scaffolders yeah, out there. Yeah, man. We, we, we're, we're up high, and you know what I mean. We rely on each other too a lot. Mm. You know, when we're passing gear down, mm. it's like coal mining, bro. I I I, I, I familiarise the camaraderie and scaffolding with coal mining too. You know what I mean. Mm. The hypervigilance that you've experienced in Mac has, has that stayed with you? Uh, yeah, it has. Are we talking in terms of like just being, the surroundings, the people yeah, behind you? So like, I'll observe everything, man. Like, you'll never see me if I walk in a room, I already checked out the exit. Do you mm. know what I mean? I already checked out the stairs. Like, mm. I walk anywhere, and uh, if I sit in a room, I, I make it's always in the corner. You know what I mean? Like, if I go to a cafe or a restaurant, I'm going to the corner. I never face, I try not to face my back to anyone. Even if I go to people's houses, you know, like I don't, I don't have, ever stay overnight at someone's house, you know what I mean? And do you reckon that's related to the abuse you suffered as a child? Yeah, yeah. I, I relate it to the night terrors that I display sometimes, you know what I mean? I, You know, staying at someone's house I don't know is a, is a big thing for me to do. And um, even trying to be intimate with a woman, like... I, that's always it's even now to this day like if i don't know the woman and like i'm just getting with her and all that sort of stuff it's very hard for me to be sort of intimate mm. and i've got a lot like got to talk myself through it and all that sort of stuff because i'm nervous i'm a nervous wreck yeah i've got the gift of the gap we all know how to talk to women bro like mm. you know what i mean but i believe sexually like I, I i struggle with the um engaging it at the start unless I, until i'm comfortable do you know what i mean yeah i know mm. so many like, I mean, I, I relate to it because there's so many idiosyncrasies that you pick up from, from prison, you know what I mean? I, you know, people touching me. I, mm. I, I was never big on yeah, that. Yeah. I'm only just well, learning that. <laughs> but you know, one of the biggest things I, I found is pe- letting people love me, you know? Yeah. Allowing people to love me and, and when people show an interest in you and, and sort of act to you in a loving manner, you become highly suspicious of them and you don't sort of... So I do, bro. Yeah, um, straight up. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going for it now. You know, I've yeah. got a partner who's very... Loving and wants to tell me how much he loves me, and wants to hug me, and everything. It's like, oh. yeah, I know, bro. Yeah, I feel that that's probably been the root cause failure of my last relationships. You know what I mean? And I'll tell you what it's about because we still suffer that we're not worthy of it. Yeah, that's that thing. We're not yeah. worthy, of it. and learning to know that you are worthy of it is just that the beginning of your self worth. That struck me then, yeah, bro. That straight up, that struck me because I. I I struggle. I struggle now. I put a lot of shit on myself. Like I've done really well. I can say that now. But I'm so hard on myself. And when things go wrong in my life, like yeah, I've the negative self-talk comes out. Can I explain? The, anal- the analogy I use today is: this is the right hand's the good talk, and the left hand's the bad talk. Right? Yeah. So when that that negative self-talk, are oh, you're a piece of shit. You're a fucking, you're no good and everything. The right hand's got to give the left hand a slap and say, shut up. Yeah. Or you can use it as an, the other analogy is the right hand's got to wrap the duct tape around the left hand's mouth and get it to shut up. You yeah. don't want to hear it. Yeah. Well, that's a fucking good analogy, man. Mm. I, I I just, I have to learn to love myself more because, you know, mm. and realise what I've done and but how abuse, far but, I've been. But abuse does that to you, mate. Abuse, yeah. abuse and trauma robs you of the ability to love yourself or like yourself. Yeah. 
I think a lot of deflection and like look at me like I've I've got a lot of different things going on in the face and um I'm using that as a deflection to try and love myself more or make other people love me more do you know what I mean mm. Uh, loving myself and accepting that I have done really well has been a major, major struggle with me. And even when I have, you know, arguments with my loved ones, I'll turn it right on, man. I'll, I'll self-sabotage the shit out of my life. You're so, feeling like shit, so you project how bad you feel under yeah. them, yeah? Yeah, so if I'm fighting with someone, like an argument, I will project all the hate, the hurt onto them. And they're like, what the fuck? bro what's going on you know what i mean holy shit i've just been through it like not long ago do you know what i mean they're like bro what and it's just it's just me just absolutely turning on someone because you know like it's fucking trauma bro it's trauma we do so what happens like i I know for myself i get used to living in all of that madness right Mm. i I get used to living in it and that become my comfortability Mm. and what we do is we deflect we deflect that chaos and that uncomfortability onto others, mm. you know, because we don't know any better. No, you know? no. When we start feeling these good things like, you know, love and contentment, and, uh, you know, peace and happiness, yeah. we try to destroy it. Yeah, and fuck, man, I, I've just been through that recently. Like, I've had a beautiful baby girl, man, and let me tell you that, that I just had her and she's just she completely changed my life. But before that, like, I was, I was starting to notice that, I just wouldn't, wouldn't let anyone love me. Do you know what I mean? It's like I had to get fucking taught how to walk. You know what I mean? Mm. I had to get like... It's hard. It's, it is hard. It's hard when you see someone believes in you when you don't believe yeah. in yourself. And, it, and yeah, fuck. I always regretted how I had treat, treated people in the past, but I'd always just try and hope they understood that, like, man, I was, I'm, I'm, I was damaged. Do you know what I mean? I was hurting, you know what I'm saying? Mm. Let's move on to to your work career and, and and how did you get involved in working in the in the in the mines my old saint calf you know um uh, my sister's sister's partner at the time had um uh, he was he was he was a coal miner himself and when i was on the run i went to cavi's house and i said oh this is going on and he was actually there he was a coal miner he was a fitter in the coal mines and um he, 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 I shook his hand and all that sort of stuff. And he, he sort of said to me, he says, go do your time, son, and, and believe in yourself. And, like, I didn't know the bloke from Bar Soap, you know what I mean? Anyway, I went and did my time and all that sort of stuff. And um, when I got out, he, 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 he said to me, go and, go and get your ticket, you know what I mean? But little did I know, the lady had lined up for me to get a job, had um, involvement with a lady that quit cared for me when I was younger. Hmm. And I walked into the interview and like I mean, I remember walking. I remember going to buy me a suit for the job of me. I mean, fuck, bro, I was an extreme fucking oh. ex junkie and all that. And I walked into this mining office, and there's all these bloody goody two shoes and all that sort of stuff. And I looked at five of them and gone, fuck, I ain't getting this, bro. I ain't getting this job. I walked in a room, and this lady. I looked at this lady, and she goes, "Do you remember me, darling?" Oh no, what do you mean? She goes, oh, said what you know, our history, and um, just sat. Who was she? Who was she? She was she was a HR manager for the company, Mm. and and uh, I'd lived with um, her godmother when I was younger, and um, that was the same lady that taught me to ride horses out on the farm just Mm. near my house. She said go for a respite care with this lady. Mm. Her name's Andrea. She's a true saint too. She's about eighty three years old. And um, she is, she's a saint herself. She's had heaps and heaps of troubled kids throughout the years. Do you know what I mean? Mm. But um, 
anyway, I did the job interview and I got the I got the I got the job two weeks later and I can I can remember my first day. I'll tell you this is a spin out, you know, and I, I met up, met met up where we had to meet up. We had to catch a bus down to the actual pit. This bloke came out. He's put his bag down and it said Luke Patton on it. Footballer, footballer, and I looked at him, eh, and I went. Fuck, bro, you even look like Luke Patton. He goes, I fucking am. <laughs> and I said, bro, I used to fucking fight my other mates to try and be you in football when we used to play football on the street. <laughs> and I just spun out going, what kind of world I'm in? And it was Luke Patton, man. And, bro, he's still friends with me to this day. He's a great guy, you know what I'm saying? And anyway, I just... There was about 10 blokes that started on that day. as clean skins, as we call them, in the <laughs> mining industry. <laughs> and... um. As soon as I got to work, man, I knew that I had one opportunity to make the best out of my life. I knew that mining mm. would make give me good things and all that sort of stuff and set me on a good career path. And so everything I did, I made sure it was good. You know what I mean? I listened. I didn't say anything. I just listened to everything. And I just I just made sure I come out the dirtiest and I, and I worked the hardest. Do you know what I mean? I always did my overtime and I just stuck right into it, man, because I knew if I didn't, I'd be sticking bourgeois in my arm again, which is needles. Mm-hmm. And I'd be bloody, I'd just be downhill again because I'd let all them fucking demons come back to me, yeah? Mm. And working and then going back to the gym and stuff like that. It's like that was fighting the demons away, Russ, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, creating that structure. Work. I'm a big believer in, you know, when you get out of jail, try to get in a job as quick as you can. Try and do it, bro. You know what I mean? To create that structure. That's eight hours. And I always say it's eight, eight hours a day you're not going to get pinched. I was doing 12 hours just straight up. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. So, and then you got your 12 hour and then eight to... You're in 20 hours. There's only four hours that you can possibly Too get out tired, of Too tired, brother. Yeah. Too tired. Yeah. So, you know, you, you sort of you got into the mining industry. You sort of worked your way up. Well, now I've, I got a ticket. I end up getting a ticket to be a supervisor. It's just an extra couple of days training. And then gives it like gives you just the authority to go underground and sort of um, direct people and give them and, and supervise work and all that sort of stuff. Mm. But the other, the other things I did was I got my heavy machinery tickets, like long – a lot of mining industries have long walls in them and I got a lot of the tickets to be able to move them and that mm. move the long wall relocate the long wall and stuff and mm. that's a very sought after ticket mm. and um which has just made it easy for me to get jobs now and you know mm. but yeah I stuck it I was I was at Helensburg and um a lot of good guys I met there and you know that was my first sort of all right be normal now be 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 a good human and all these lads around me they knew I'd been in jail they knew what happened to me when I was a kid and that and um yeah there's a lot of great mentors there i can remember i want to give him a shout out this bloke called johnny mears he's fucking yeah he was he was my he was my next father figure you know what i mean mm. apart from mark mm. and they put me with him and we were, we were hanging 18 inch pipes that would uh take out the gas in the mine mm. and um yeah he yeah I, I owe a lot to him as well you know what i mean it's good man yeah. it's good having that isn't it yeah, you've really responded really well mm. to a father type figure and maybe if you had that father type figure do you, from a young age do you mm. think your life would have been differently oh bro i would have been a boxer probably i would have you know i would have i would have done well in sports anything i did i was i was half decent at whereas swimming i was fast if it was running i was fast mate. If, like even riding a bike i had to have a good dig at it mm. playing football i was all right you know i was always getting picked on the teams and that mm. but i just never had the structure man you know what i mean i never had the structure there like to being a father, I know with my own kids, you know what I mean. I, my kids have suffered because of my time in jail, and um, you know what I mean. And it's hard to go back and sort of give them that stuff that they miss out on. 
Now you've got um, you've got children of your own these days. What type of father do you want to be? Oh, just oh man, I just want to be there. Just the one that she can come talk to when everything anything goes wrong. You know what I mean? Like I I have a daughter, so yeah, being super protective over. Do you have a gun. Yeah, I'm gonna get one. <laughs> I don't think they'd ever get me. Let me have a firearm again. <laughs> FPOs. Um, but nah, I just I just have to keep fit and keep boxing, eh? <laughs> but um, that'll do the job. I I I'm I'm never gonna leave her. No matter what happens, I'm never gonna leave her. I'm always gonna be there, and she's fucking apple of my eye. So, and she's I'll, safe, and that's the she's main. She's safe with me, you know. Yeah, and I'll guide her into the. Whatever she wants to do in life, I'll back her, yeah. as long as it's positive. Yeah, for sure. I'd feel as a father, maybe when birthdays come along and Christmas come along, there'll be probably a lot of overcompensation with me because I, I I never had nothing as a kid, man. Right? Like I used to get hand-me-downs all the time and you know, I used to stay at kids' houses and I used to tuck a couple of shirts they had or you know, steal a pair of their shoes mm. or something. But like the way I dress now is I always have – I feel like I always have got to have the best of things, you know what I mean? And I probably should be saving money for a house instead of buying really nice clothes and just trying to make myself look nice and good. Because if I look nice, I feel nice. I don't, you know, feel mm. shit. But with my daughter, yeah, I just, I wanted to have everything. I don't want her to be spoiled, you mm. know what I mean? I, I I just wanted to have everything I didn't, you spoil know. Spoil I mean? with love, man. Yeah, that's 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 the only spoiling I could do, spoiling with love, you know what I mean? Saying no to her would be very hard, but that's where her mother comes in, you know, sort of, you know. Don't want to be the bad guy. Nah, nah. What's the plans now for Jason Hansford? Um, I'm going to keep in the keep in the uh, mining industry. Obviously, I want to train to be a deputy, and um, that's quite a big call, so I'm going to seek a bit more experience. That's why I did a bit of FIFO just not long ago to try and put myself out there but um yeah i'd love to write a book man i'd love to write a book i'd love to read it yeah i'd love to tell my story and um you know i yeah just write a book and hopefully one day i want to get into youth work and when um the government will give me a blue card because i believe isn't that frustrating oh it's very frustrating man like you just get laughed at or say mate try in 10 years okay mate but um i just know that from what I've been through, I can make some, some big impacts on a kid's lives, you know what no I mean? Doubt. With the, with my TikTok and all that sort of stuff, I have people reaching out to me all the time and I, I, I talk to the young fellas when they're young and I, I believe, I, I don't believe it, I know it. I know what I can say can change some people's minds, you know what I mean? Big fan of it, lived experience, that's what these kids are going to listen absolutely, to. Absolutely, absolutely. Jason Hansford, thanks for coming on the sticker. Thanks, bro. Thank you.